Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, Let's bow our head in prayer. God, graciously, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for waking us up this morning. God, you put clothes on our back. God, food on our table. God, you uh, did not uh, allow uh, the enemy, God, to snatch us up last night. But God, we say thank you that we can come into your house, Lord, that we can open up your word. What a privilege it is, Lord, to be able to, to know you, God, because of the work that you've done on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing, God, that we don't have to. Um, God, thank you so much, Lord, that because we, even though we didn't deserve it, we don't earn it, God, we have access to your presence. God, that we can cry, Abba, Father, that we are a child of God, that I'm a son, I am a daughter of God. We say thank you. Thank you for the leadership of this house. Thank you so much for the gift of the pastors over this house, God. Uh, we, we don't take it for granted. God, you're doing something special in our midst, and we say thank you, God. We love you. We love you. God, I ask that you would uh, use me. God, move me out the way. God, if they see me, they ain't going to be blessed. God, if they see me, God, they won't be healed. But God, if we hear your words, God, encouragement will take place, Lord. Lord, correction, strengthening might take place. And so here we are, Lord, uh, wanting to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so I almost forgot to say, well, okay, bow our heads one more time. Hold up, pause the phone. And God, we say thank you. A special prayer of thanks for the acts. Hallelujah. God, that Cal beat Stanford yesterday. God, even when they said we weren't going to do it. Hey, God, you are the God of miracles. Hallelujah. Um, now, um, that's why, I, I mean, I am wearing cow colors for that purpose. Go Bears. Um, so one of, one time when I, so I went to Cal, uh, it was my senior year at Cal. I'm walking into the, uh, student union. And as I'm walking through the student union, I think I'm trying to find a place to study or something. Uh, and I hear this um, lady uh, kind of uh, where the door is, kind of far from me, say, Tinsley! And I'm like, oh, Lord. Um, I, I, look, I turn around, and I don't know who this lady is, so I just keep walking. Um, Tinsley! And I was like, okay, so now you're making a, making a scene. And so now I turn around, everybody's looking. And then she comes up, hey, cousin! And then hugs me. And I'm like, this lady, I don't know this lady. Get off of me. Um, I, don't know what, what, I don't know what's happening right now. So she lets go. And she goes, you know we related, right? And I go, I'm, I'm staring at her badge because she happened to work um, there. And I'm reading. And I said, okay, we have the same last name. All right. So I'm kind of analyzing her. And she goes, we're cousins. Are, you know that? I go, no, I don't know you. And she goes, Well, here's the thing. So when you applied three years ago, this is going to get a little strange. When you applied three years ago, I saw saw your application. I don't know what role she has. Still to this day, don't know. I don't know what role she has. Somehow she saw my application and she goes, I know I have family in Fresno. So the fact that you were Teasley and you're from Fresno, I knew that if uh, I ever saw you, I would have to connect with you. Three years later, she sees me yells my name, and we're actually related. Um, I do have cousins up here um, in the Richmond area. Uh, come to find out, uh, we are uh, distant cousins. Um, and and it, it got me thinking, why in the world 
with this lady who has never met me, has never talked to me, really knows nothing about me, what would drive her to be on the lookout for three years to try to find this man? (laughs) And it's interesting that relation, when you know you're related to somebody, can drive you to connection. I want to look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, where uh, we see uh, this kind of connection happening. So uh, Genesis uh, 2.18, it says, God said that there, uh, that It was not good for man to be alone. So Adam is in the garden uh, of Eden and uh, God made man and he gives Adam something to do to name uh, the the beast uh, of the field and the fowl of the air. So he gives him an assignment to do. And and God looks at uh, Adam uh, as he's doing the role and he says, this isn't good. It's not good for man to be alone. And and we see that then God creates Eve. And it's interesting that Adam, the first time uh, he sees Eve, he says, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There's a different kind of response that Adam has um, with this particular creation of God that he did not have with any other creation of God. That he says, at last, there was a longing, um, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There was a desire for connection because they were related. And so here, uh, the title of my message is Designed to Belong. Say that that with me. Designed to Belong. So um, notice that um, Eve, right, was created and related to Adam, and it motivated that connection to, to happen. Now, here's the thing. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, we see that God gives us a preview of what he's going to do, and he says, um, let us make man in our own image uh, and in our likeness and give them dominion over the earth. Now, One of the reasons why God called it not good before Eve uh, came on the scene is because that even though Adam had an assignment, he did not fulfill God's original design for, he said, let them have dominion over the earth. The design was a them, not a he. The design was for community, not being alone. So even though there was an assignment on Adam's life, there was a call on Adam's life and he was doing what God had asked him to do. He could not fully fulfill what was being what it was he was created to do alone. You are not created um, to uh, give God glory alone, but in community. That Eve was not an afterthought or an added benefit to Adam, but was a part of the original design. And so here, um, this is not just about marriage, but about community, that community in God's eyes and in his design wasn't a forethought or afterthought, excuse me, but was part of his original design that he said, now it is very good because they can be fruitful and multiply. And that was according to his original design, designed to be, to belong. So We see that from the start, we have that God designed us as individuals to be a part of community with each other. That community is a necessary part of God's design for our lives. 
Uh, MIT did a study to see how social isolation affected the brain, and there was strong evidence to support that we crave human connection in the same part of the brain that we crave food. They also found that when we experience social embarrassment, uh, ostracization, or humiliation, that it happens in the same part of the brain that we experience physical pain. And so we see here, uh, even from a scientific standpoint, that there is a uh, natural design to be connected to someone. That there is a construct that goes beyond the social aspect that we need each other. So um, we're going to spend our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we get there, um, Paul does a, a, a basically walks through this analogy of, called the body of Christ. And um, if you haven't been in church, um, you may not know. That kind of sounds weird. Why are we talking about, you know, the body of someone who was resurrected no longer here? Uh, but it's really just an analogy for uh, you and I today if you call yourself a believer. So um, before we get into Corinthians Uh, kind of giving a definition of what this analogy is throughout the whole New Testament in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 through 23. It says, um, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. Say that with me. The The church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And so we see here that the the church uh, is um, the body of Christ in this analogy uh, here, that the church, um, there's a couple of ways that the New Testament uses church. One is a local body here, as we're calling it um, right now. Uh, This is Mission Church. And then there is a capital C church in this chronological time right here, right now that um, there are many local churches that make up together um, the church in this geographical uh, and even chronological time. And then you have the church, if you zoom out of all time, of every generation, everyone who has professed the name of Christ is a part of the church, the body. And so um, let's dive into um, chapter uh, 12 of verse 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If a whole body an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the 
and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we uh, bestow the greater honor and our uh, under-representable uh, parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So kind of giving a, a little bit of uh, background uh, of this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church here. Uh, Paul was in his third year stint in Ephesus when he wrote this letter to the church, church at Corinth. The local church there at Corinth was divided, sexually immoral, and really struggled with arrogance, uh, which led to spiritual superiority. They thought they were all that and a bag of chips. Come on, somebody. Uh, and they were prioritizing personal advancement instead of advancing the gospel message. In addressing these core issues, Paul shows them how out of step with the gospel they are and redirects them in the hopes of realigning them in unity so that the local body would flourish. So, so here, I, I kind of just want to walk through uh, this uh, text here to see how, what role, where do we fit, and how can we uh, use and, and hear what God is saying uh, through Paul to the church at Corinth for right now here at Mission Church. So it says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Paul is using the simile, comparing the body of Christ to the biological human body to show the distinction of its members, yet emphasizing the unity of one body. Would you raise your right hand? Can everybody raise your right hand? All right. If you can raise your left hand. Now put your hand on your head. Put your hand on your head, shoulders. Okay. Um, now, I named many parts of your body, but it's still you, right? That your, your body is made up of many parts, but it, it's still one consciousness. It is you who are sitting there. So as I raise my right hand, I raise my le left hand, ra raise my leg, raise my other leg, right? That there are distinct parts of me, but it's still Michael Teasley. In the same way, um, uh, Paul is saying that the body of Christ, the church, has many members, individual members, with distinct roles and distinct functions, but all have the same spirit of God living inside of them. And so that's what's really important is that the church is not a social club. Come on, somebody. Um, we, don't, we don't just come here to, uh, to sip our coffee and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. And, uh, and that's why we're all related. It's because we just loved, um, we just like Jesus and we're fans of Jesus. No, we're disciples of Jesus. And what makes the difference is it says that um, though we are many, uh, we are for one spirit, we are baptized into one body. That the spirit of the living God is what connects us, that there is a supernatural aspect to our connection and not just a superficial social construct of, yeah, I go to Mission Church. 
right? That there is a, something that happened. There's a miracle of God that you have the breath of God, that the living God uh, of the universe has made a dwelling place in you when it, you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that there is a connection that I and you have because the same spirit that is in you is in me. So it, uh, it uh, ascends over any other type of connection that we might have in this world. And so uh, we see here the unity of the church that Paul is contending for is not founded on a common hobby or the fact that they are a part of a social club. The unity is rooted in the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. Unity is not a simple byproduct of the gospel, but rather an integral part of the gospel message. Ephesians 2, uh, 13 through 16 uh, kind of makes this plain to us. It says, but now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. Somebody say one new man in place of the two, making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So when Paul is writing this, he's actually incarcerated under Roman house arrest because he brought a Gentile, a non-Jew, so that the that there were two uh, kind of ethnic groups uh, here. Um, they have the Jews and then the Gentiles. And Gentiles are actually multiple ethnic groups under that category. Because if you weren't Jew, you're just a called a Gentile. And so in the temple of God, like the Gentiles could worship, but they couldn't worship like the Jews worship. The Jews were special, right? Because of their lineage. And so in the temple, there was a literal, physical dividing wall in the temple. And Jews could enter further into the temple and worship. But the Gentiles had to stay on the outskirts to worship God. And so Paul was being accused of bringing a Gentile into the Jewish place of worship. And he says, ah, cut that foolishness out. He says that because of Christ and what he did on the cross, there was a specificity that he said that all nations, that every tongue, that every tribe would be a part of the gospel, would be part of the body of Christ, that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but that we're all baptized into one body through the spirit of Christ. And so what you notice here is that the gospel is not colorblind, but yet at the same time, there is a unifying power in racial reconciliation. And that's why Paul actually was a minister unto the Gentiles, uh, because that's what God had uh, called him for ministry for. And so we notice that when we accept Christ, the spirit of the living God lives within us to empower us to overcome worldly stumbling blocks to being united. It is through the unity of love that others know that we are Christians. Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, by this they may know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. So the way that we treat one another in this house actually is a better testament to how much you love God and how much you are a disciple of God than how much you spend time praying, than how much you know scripture, how many times you can sing a worship song and you may sound good, but really, the testament to your faith is how well do you treat me in the parking lot? 
How well do you treat me when I get on your nerves, right? That there is a certain connection that I have to you, and therefore, the people are looking outside. They said, if the church can't get it together, why would I be attracted to something that I can already get in my home? Right? If there's disunity in the household, why would they come to church to be more dysfunctional? Why would they, be, why would they come to church to have further, uh, further people being rude to them or belittle them? But if they can see how the spirit of the living God causes a unity that is unlike any other, that is what's attractive, especially during this time where we're so divisive and polarized. The funny thing is, um, this is not just referring to the local church. Come on, clap. I can't clap. Clap. So pause the clap. This is, this is um, not just referring to the local church, but it's part of the larger body of Christ. So yes, guess what? Believe it or not, even if you don't go to mission church, you can still be a Christian. Uh, don't tell Pastor, Pastor Tyler, is that okay? If, even if you don't, even if you go across the street to North Creek, even if you go to Conquer Valley, no matter what church you go, you can still be a Christian because the local body is not, the, the body of Christ is not just mission and we shut the doors and that's it. All who go into heaven is in mission. If you ain't in, you ain't in, right? But there is, but there is a unity that we can be had and sometimes we, we keep playing like we are on separate teams but we're all on the same team with the same goal and the same mission to love Jesus and to see others uh, transformed under the power of the gospel message. Not only that, but here I'm gonna ruffle some feathers. You ready? You can be a Christian and be a Republican. You can be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can be a libertarian, an independent, and be a Christian because the lordship of Christ ultimately supersedes that of political affiliation. Jesus is for the poor, the rich, the middle class because the lordship of Christ is preeminent over the dollar amount in your bank account. That the gospel highlights ethnic differences and makes Christ the center of how we relate and love one another. So, go down to verse 15. It says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if it were an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So Paul uses this metaphor of the human body again to a liken to the church. There's two parts. One is to call out self-deprecation, meaning self-belittlement, that I'm less than because I'm not something else. And then in the second part, he's going to address self-exaltation, where people are um, putting themselves above others uh, because of their gift. And so here in the church at Corinth, they were messed up from the floor, let me tell you. Um, they were um, really messed up because they were uh, battling each other, and there was so much division because of the gifts uh, that they had to serve one another supposedly right they were elevating certain uh, gifts or roles or positions over others uh, and there was causing disunity uh, and division there and so the first thing that he calls out is self-deprecation self-belittlement um, there um, just because the foot does not look like or function like a hand doesn't make it any less part of the body. The reason why this sounds so obvious to us is because 
because the foot was never designed to look or function like a hand. It's nonsensical to compare the function or the role of the foot to the hand because it was never meant to act, sound like, look like a hand, right? Everybody clap. Everybody stomp. Do you see how I made two different sounds, right? The, even in the function of the role, there are two different, there was the design is different, right? You do not walk with your hands. Um, you, you, you do not uh, eat with your feet, right? That there is a distinction between those members. Both are useful, but it is nonsensical to compare one's role to another if the design was not to be compared, And so in the same way, you may not sound good as Lisa on a Sunday morning. You may not preach as good as Tyler on a Sunday morning. But does that make your role inferior to what their role is just because you are comparing what God has given you to what God has given them? That your role or your function as you are a part of the body of Christ, which again is a supernatural work. You didn't opt into this per se, right? But as you made a decision to follow Christ, God says, this is my design that you would be in community with one another. And because of that, there is a special role and, and function that you play that no one else can play. And so there is, it makes no sense to compare roles that were designed to be separate. That in the same way, we cannot place the weight of our sense of belonging in the body of Christ on our ability to measure up to the standard of someone else. If comparison causes you to disqualify yourself from belonging, then it is out of step with the gospel. There were some people who believed that because they did not have a certain type of ability or spiritual gift, that they did not belong to the family of God. Moreover, the flaw in this line of thinking is that one's worth or sense of belonging is tied to their role or function. It's not just that the foot is not a hand and therefore you can't compare it, but the foot was basing its value in the body on its function and role. That notice here that it says that I, if I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. If I do not function like a hand, well, even if it's not a hand, the issue is the foot is still a part of the body, even if um, the, the function is lost, right? If I, God forbid, become paralyzed and I cannot move um, my lower half, is my foot no longer a part of the body because it lost its function, No, it's still part of my body in the same way. You might think, I'm not running at capacity. I know God has given me uh, things uh, to do and a role to play, and and I I feel broken. I feel as if I'm not really uh, serving the way I should be serving. Does that make you any less a part of the body? No, it is not. That you are designed to belong to a family of God that supersedes social construct, but it is a miracle of the living God that we are connected together and we were designed to need each other. Could you just turn to somebody and say, like it or not? You need me. I may get on your nerves, but you need me. You may not want to go home with me, but you need me. You may not want to sit next to me, but you need me. Just tell me to put on some deodorant and put a breath mint in. Come on, somebody. You need me. 
and I need you. That is the work of the gospel message together that God has designed us to fit together. Here, the scripture in verse 13 clearly teaches that we are part of the body of Christ through the work of the Spirit alone. That you are, uh, you are not who you are because of what you do. You are who you are because of what Christ did. And it is who we have become in Christ that we have been uniquely gifted to serve others, not the other way around. Your ability or your role does not cause you to be valuable in God's eyes. You are not valued by Jesus because you are needed. You are needed because you have been valued by Jesus. Because you are part of the body of Christ, because God has saw you valuable, that when no one else saw you as needed and valued, when you were broken, disgusted, when you felt like there was no way out and Jesus rescued you, it was nothing of your own doing, but because Christ imputed his righteousness, you are the righteousness of God. And if you are sitting under the sound of my voice and you believe that gospel message, then you are needed in this place, that you are not valued because you are needed. You are needed because you have been valued by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That you have been valued by the creator of the universe. That is why you are needed. And so there is no place for self-deprecation or belittlement because really it is God's design how he placed you, designed you intricately. And so we see here that this is, it supersedes your plan or what you think you should match up to, but it really is God's design. So do not call God a liar when you when you say to yourself I am not needed or I'm not a part of the body God has called you a part of the body God has called you valuable God has called you worthy and because of that alone you have worth and value so um there is no earning our place in the body of Christ. Christ already did that. We are not small group leaders to earn Christ's approval. We don't get up early on a Sunday morning our only day to sleep in to set up and tear down so Christ would be impressed with us. We don't sacrificially give of our time, energy, or money to win over Christ's acceptance. But while we were still sinners, who Jesus, Christ died for us. While we had nothing to offer God, he died for us so that we could be in relationship with him. Your giftedness does not qualify your sense of belonging. Your giftedness does not qualify your sense of belonging. Then he goes down and he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. Somebody say God arranged. The members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Paul is laying out an argument that the peace of the gospel's unifying power is not in spite of our differences, but works through our differences. That if we were all a single member, it says in verse 19, where would the body be? If all we cared about was the eye, where would the sense of smell be? He's saying if all uh, were an ear, right, and where would be the speech of the mouth? That we all can't be having the same role, function, or gifts because that in itself is not a functioning unified body, but there is a necessity for differences. That God doesn't just tolerate our differences, but he designed our differences, Right, that this wasn't uh, something that God, well, I guess I have to work with um, uh, these people who, who, who don't look alike, who don't act alike. No, no, no. God designed that so that the body could work together. 
So we see here that the power of Christ does not cause us to uniformity, but to be unified. Paul combats the argument of uniformity by saying that diversity is not just something, right, that God tolerates, but it's something that God designed for his glory. See, verse 18 links the differentiation of individuals in the body to the design of God. But sometimes we have a verse, a different verse 18. You ready for this? Some of you believe this verse 18. But as it is, the senior pastor arranged the members in the body. I love Tyler, but I don't know if he's that coordinated to be able to, uh, to arrange all of you together. But as it is, political preference arranged the members of the body because we all check the same box when we vote. That's why we're arranged together. But as it is, social economics arranged the members of the body because I have this certain tax bracket, uh, because I look at and live in a certain zip code. This is why we are all together in the same place. But as it is, ethnicity arranged the members of the body. As we look around to God be the glory, you all don't look alike. Hallelujah. Thank God we are in a cookie cutter church. Um, but we see that the glory of God is revealed in the diversity of the people who are sitting next to you. That Psalms 139.13 says, For you formed my inward parts. So David is, is declaring in Psalms that he formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David is praising God as his maker, given that David is using words like formed and inward parts and knitted in the womb. He is honoring God as a skillful designer who intentionally and intricately made him. Let me, let me tell you about some fun facts about the body, the human body. There are on average 60,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. Every second, you produce 25 million new cells, in which there are about 200 different types of cells. There are 86 billion neurons in the brain, which are all being used for most of us. <laughs> Your heart pumps around 2,000 gallons of blood a day. The adult human is made up of about seven octillion atoms. That's a seven followed by 27 zeros. There are 78 organs in the human body, 600 muscles, 206 bones, and over 4,000 tendons. And you're going to tell me that you are a mistake that you were on accident, that God did not have a design for your body. That, that notice here, and this is key and really important for you to understand, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that you were knitted together uh, in your mother's womb. That, 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 that's what David is declaring. He says, that's why I praise you. And, and he goes, notice this, that you are not a mistake. There is nothing accidental about you. And believing that your friends or your family would be better off without you is just a lie. That God has placed value on your life. And so I pray that if there's anybody in this room or on the live stream that might be battling with suicidal thoughts, I just pray peace over your mind even now, Lord. I take a moment to pray. God, I battle that in the name of Jesus. God, that suicidal thoughts are not from you. God, you have placed value on the individual. God, I pray, God, that any thoughts or any lies that would try to root itself, that would come to 
exalt the knowledge and the truth of your value of what you've done on the cross and try to exalt itself over that. God, I ask that you would cast it down. God, that your blood would cover every mind in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that they would feel connected to the body, Lord, that someone might reach out to them to know that they are valued, that their life is worth it. God, that, that there may be pain, but ending their life is not the answer. God, that there is still a future and a hope to be had. God, I pray for any um, young person under the sound of my voice who may be struggling because they're being bullied at school. God, I pray, God, that the, the lies of the bully would not override your truth. And God, in the name of Jesus, that things that are happening on social media, God, would you protect this generation? God, in the name of Jesus, here we are. Amen. And so um, notice that, that Paul here is really trying to uplift the people uh, at Corinth and, and saying that there needs to be unity and that we are a part of the same body of Christ. Uh, and, and so really, God is real and it is not accidental that you have breath in your lungs or blood pumping through your body. There is a purpose on your life and you are needed. And, and so God uses the analogy here in Scripture of the human body to show us how intricately, intricately designed the church is. And every single member who has been born again has been redeemed by the work of Christ and is saved and is an interwork, uh, integral part to the working of God's masterful design. So verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So a couple of Sundays ago, um, during Baptism Sunday, um, I had woke up and I had a little sum-sum in my throat. And I was like, I really cannot afford to be sick right now. I have so many things that are happening, so many excited things I did not want to miss out on. And so I said, I was driving, to, I remember driving to church and I said, I ain't, I'm not getting sick. I told myself, I ain't getting sick. Uh, you ain't getting sick, but you don't have time for this, Michael. So I was starting to talk to myself. That didn't quite work. Um, later that afternoon, I developed a fever, and then I went home. I took a nap. I woke up, and then, you know, took my temperature. My temperature was 104.9, and I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. So I called, you know, called the advice nurse. I was like, okay, take a couple steps. You need to bring your fever down. If you can't bring it down, you got to go to the emergency room. And um, I've had strep throat quite a few times, so I'm looking at my mouth. Every time I get sick, I look at my mouth, and I like, you know, I look at my tonsils in the back. My tonsils, I, I was going to put up a picture, but then I said, maybe they don't want to see. <laughs> if you want to see, you're welcome. If you want to see, come find me after church. Um, uh, no, um, but um, my, my tonsils were, they look like a next-gen sci-fi movie uh, alien. That's what they look like. Uh, and so I was like, so had a video appointment with the doctor and we're like, yeah, well, let's put you on antibiotics. Uh, and the antibiotics kicked it right out. Now, here's the thing. It was a bacterial infection of my tonsils. And I don't know about you, but I don't find my tonsils very valuable. Like in the sense of anybody just, you know, they just go throughout the day, go, I pray for my tonsils, Lord, that you just <laughs> bless it. You know, people pray, you know, for the head, the heart, you know, the vital organs, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't know if anybody here in this room has prayed for your tonsils. Well, that day, I was praying for my tonsils uh, for sure, because let me tell you, I have never had such a horrible um, bat uh, with this uh, 
before that I literally, it was an event to try to swallow. Uh, and, and it felt like there were, you know, the Isaiah 6 moment where he put the coal of fire on his tongue for Isaiah. I felt it. I knew exactly what he meant to, when uh, he had the coal of fire on his tongue. It was uh, nearly unbearable. I thought just because of the pain, I was going to have to go to the emergency room um, because nothing else uh, was, uh, was helping. Uh, and so uh, what I'm saying in this part of an analogy, even in my own sickness, is that while I did not find my tonsils valuable, because it was connected to the body, it caused my body to, to respond and go in shock. That there could be complications if this um, bacteria was not uh, taken care of in the tonsils. It could have spread and caused life-threatening illness and disease. Um, in the same way, even if you think you are not um, valuable or you think you do not have any worth, the moment that you are infected or something happening with you, it affects the whole body. And so notice here that if you think that, for example, sin, I, 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 I might do this and I, I'm doing it on my own and it doesn't affect anybody. But if you are not playing your role in the church, it is affecting me because I need you and you need me. It's not that you're just missing out, but I'm missing out too because you're not playing the role that you're supposed to be playing. My tonsils were infected and could not provide the role that it was supposed to do in the immune system. And because of that, I had a headache, I had a fever, and there could be other life-threatening things that could happen because of the one body part not being able to function. So notice that because we are connected, that we are in need of each other. So, um, went up and lost my spot. Okay, um, and so uh, here we see that um, Paul in verse 21 that I just read is now uh, uh, addressing self-exaltation where members were placing more value on themselves than um, others because of their role. So um, some members of the Corinthian church thought that they were um, thought of themselves as being more necessary because of their gifts were more visible. Isn't that just like us, that the people who are more visible in our society have a higher value? Literally, the younger generation places so much amount on the views that they get on social media, and this is how they gain influence, right? That influence is such a high priority for Generation Z, for example, that they want to feel like they matter and they can make a difference. Um, recently, semi-recently, in 2019, the uh, Lego company commissioned a survey of 3,000 kids in China, the UK, and the US. It surveyed kids ages 6 through 17. What it did, it gave children five choices of their dream career that they could choose from and to rank these. The five choices were astronaut, teacher, musician, professional athlete, and then vlogger, YouTuber. So, in the UK and the US, the number one choice that these kids chose was vlogger YouTuber. China was different. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. Um, now, notice here that really the um, um, allure of fame 
is getting into the hearts of the, the people around us because the devices at which or the level we have access to people who are famous or celebrities, uh, because the access has grown, it has changed the outlook on uh, what we want to do in this next generation. See, the problem with fame is fame makes you think you are loved and accepted and fully seen, but in reality, all people love and accept and see is your gift or the part of your personality that is a commodity. Anytime the gift is elevated above the person, there will be dysfunction and disorder. So when you, what happens is when you objectify the person and you dilute them down to their gift, what you do is in turn, all you do is dishonor the person and dishonor God. Lisa, you're a beautiful singer. You, you tear it up. You just, la, 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 woo! The thing is, Lisa, as a person, the quality of her character is not connected to the quality of her gift, right? That, that even though most of you only experience her through her gift, she is more than just her ability to sing. That even if, God forbid, something happened to your vocal cords, that you would still just be an integral part to this church, right? Then, then just what your gift offers, that your, your value or your role, um, or your value or your worth supersedes the role or the gift that you have. And so Paul stresses the importance of being one body. And, and, and just a kind of uh, highlight a couple of things in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another and what you say that there would be no divisions among you, that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Um, Colossians 3, 13, bear with one another, forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against one another, forgive them as they forgave you. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, so really, the church is a special place because of this. The, the church gets special when uh, you have interactions with others around you, and, and you aren't just involving them uh, with their gift or operating in a, in a certain role. For example, and me being on the prayer team, what's really special about the body of Christ, uh, there was a young man who had just gotten married and was dealing with a death in his family, and it was really causing um, some of what was supposed to be celebratory in his new found marriage uh, was causing uh, some other things and he wanted to know how to best care for his wife. And I said, you know, I, uh, I've never been married, nor have I had uh, um, a, uh, my wife uh, lose uh, a parent. And so, um, and I can have the keys of uh, the worship team come up now. Um, but what was really special is because I knew I was connected in the body of Christ. There were some people in this church who I knew had gone through a similar situation who had said, I know I could connect you to somebody. And out of that, there, there was fruit and there was ministry. But if I had been disconnected from the body or that person was not, didn't feel comfortable and connected to go seek out prayer, where would there be healing? Where would there be restoration? But because of the body of Christ, God used people in this room to bring about healing and joy and restoration and peace. So it, it, this especially becomes hard when only your interaction with people is based on their role or, or their gift. So, for example, take Pastor Tyler. 
If the only way you experience him is through preaching on a Sunday morning, though his messages might give you insight to his personality, family, and other outside life, do you really know him? If you're not careful, you, need, you can equate who Tyler Johnson is with what he does on a Sunday morning and the role that he plays in the body of Christ. Him being the most visible can give you the false sense or the false impression that he's the most important. There is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. There is just one head, and Colossians makes that plain where it says that uh, Jesus is the head of the church. So hear this, that transparency doesn't always mean intimacy. Just because I am transparent with you doesn't mean that you are closely connected with me. And so while there might be transparency publicly, know this, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you are closely connected with one another. But the moment we start to live a life with each other, the moment that at, at Paul, where I'm going to end, where he commends them and he encourages them to to carry one another's burdens. He says, suffer with one another. He, he, he says, serve one another, that rejoice and honor one another. That's when the church, the body of Christ is functioning as it's designed to do and designed to be. That when you feel like you actually, so, so what, what, what we know is that when you are when you, when you follow people on Instagram and Twitter, or Facebook, you may not, you may know a lot about people. You may know their birthday, the city that they live in, the job they have, the vacation that they went on, the places that they go, the school that you go to or went to, how many kids you have, what sports you play, what musical instruments you play, or what political beliefs you might have, but they don't know you just because they have a screen view of you. And so here's where Paul gives the anecdote where they were starting to value the gift above the people. They were starting to honor what they could do and not who they were. And so there are three things that he says. He says, but God has so composed the body in verse 24, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The first thing that he points out is that honor is focused on people, not the gift. That when you all celebrated, when I said Lisa has a beautiful singing voice. I hope it was because of the beautiful character and the person that Lisa was, not just the gift that she has. And in the same way that we are to honor one another, that yes, we are to celebrate um, certain gifts, but they are all equal in God's eyes to love and serve and glorify God. And so you might say, this is not really a Thanksgiving message. I don't, I don't really like this. This is a holiday season. This is Thanksgiving. Well, here it is, right? That it is hard to have the vision with people you appreciate. Why don't you start thanking people for who they are in your life and start to see what kind of fertile ground that relationship starts to, to breed because of your appreciation and your vocal. And the thing is, if you're thankful about someone, why don't you verbalize that to somebody? So this is what Paul is saying, is that this is really a, thank, uh, a Thanksgiving message. Give thanks to one another for who they are and not just what they bring to the table. 
That, that, that if, if you love someone, start to appreciate uh, who they are uh, and not what just they bring because it's hard to fight people you appreciate. It's hard to be in disunity with people that you verbally value and you, uh, and you see that they as a person bring value to your life uh, and, and not just uh, what they do. The second thing he says, remember that God composed the body, that this really is all for him and because of him, that this is not just a social construct or a club, but God designed it from the foundations of the earth that we would be able to be connected with one another in love. And then last, he encourages us how to care for one another. He says, if one member suffer, all suffer and we can stand. He says, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. So, especially if, um, if you're here in, in this room, would you just connect with somebody uh, by their hand? If you feel, feel comfortable, just connect with the shoulder. Just as you are connected physically in this moment, God is calling us to be connected spiritually, to live life with one another. That if you hurt, I hurt. That if you cry, I cry. That if you're going through a hard time, I'm going through a hard time. If, you're, if you got a promotion, I got a promotion. Come on, let's go out to lunch. You paying. That we are supposed to live in community with each other and not just be in dark lights and sing a song together and then leave. So every hand bowed, and you can let go of that hand because there, some people are going to lift their hand in just a moment, so you can let go of that hand. God, here we are. God, if, if we're feeling alone and disconnected, maybe we have a, a, a hard home life, uh, and, and we're just feeling not valued there, and we, we really don't know what this church thing is, but it's making you're making it appealing that I, I, I want to be valued I want to be seen as a person I, I, I want to have a certain purpose God I, I pray God that if that's speaking to them if that's speaking to you under the sound of my voice that, that Jesus being Lord of your life is what brings you into this family it's what gives you peace It what gives you value where no one else can give you value no one else can give you worth he can And he's here in the room this morning. And he says, if you would just open up your heart to what I have for you. If you open up to me, I'll change your life. It'll never be the same. I'll I'll baptize you. I'll bring you into this family that'll care for you, that will love you like no one else can. If that's you this morning, on the count of three, would you just slip your hand up? One, two, three. God sees that hand. Yes, God sees that hand. And God, I pray even now for this body, this mission church, Lord, that we would be the body of Christ that you have designed and that you have called. Thank you for putting us together that you have arranged no one else. But God, is a supernatural work that the spirit of the living God is in us. And God, help us to love one another, care for one another in Jesus' name. And so this is where we're going to end. We're all going to pray the uh, sinner's prayer uh, together. Lord Jesus... I know that I've fallen short. I haven't lived worthy of what you've called. But Jesus, you have. You lived a life that I should have lived. You died a death I deserved. But you took my place. 
And because of that, I have reconciled relationship with you. Would you be Lord over my life? I give you my yes. Thank you, God, for your peace and your joy. And I have a family now beside me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.